All right, well, welcome back to our week six of social justice. We're halfway through this class. We'll be halfway done. So uh, that's good for me, I think. Uh, and at the same time, I just feel, I keep looking and you know, kind of redoing the schedule, and there's just no way we're going to cover it all. It's just We're just going to have to hit the topic. Maybe it'll spawn on to some other Sunday schools or at least discussions and plant some seeds in your mind. I'll start off like I do every week. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about race for the first time today directly. We're going to have two or three weeks on that. And then I want to talk about one or two weeks on critical race theory or critical theory in general. Um, that, and that's the kind of the stuff that people tend to hear when they hear the word social justice. It's a pretty important philosophy and it, it really bumps against this line of what's kind of outside of orthodoxy, I would, from my opinion at least. And then I, I, want, I do want the last class at least to be on you know, we're moving to the new building, what might this subject mean for us? And it's just the start of a discussion of, let's start thinking about having a footprint here in Vegas in a more visible way. Uh, I've been talking about, basically, I've been trying to put some borders up between social justice advocates and those who are more skeptical. Uh, we've got the range of evangelicals in here. These are brothers and sisters who have differences of opinions on exactly how organizational we get, how government funded we get. Um, the priority of things. And then there, of course, are always going to be bounds that we want to be careful of going outside. We want to be biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive, and culturally conversant. And then our goals have been to just individually, how do we love our neighbor? Um, how do we take our faith into such a cultural topic? And how do we talk about these things? Where in this is individual versus local church responsibility? And then applying to the new building. A review for those who have been here. I always start with uh, social justice news of the week, and there was a lot, so I had to parse down, and maybe I'll bring up some others. So the BCA General Assembly is meeting or did meet this week, and uh, they adopted the Nashville Statement. Now, that's a statement we looked at a few months ago with um, homosexuality, transgenderism, and so I don't, know what, I don't know PCA politics. I don't know what that means for an individual church, but it's interesting that it was accepted. Now, 40% disagree. It's a pretty big minority. Again, I don't, I, there are lots of reasons someone might not sign a statement, why they might not vote for a statement. A statement that I think most of us would agree is pretty biblical, um, pretty straightforward biblical, not very controversial really. Um, there might be a statement here or there. But some people might vote against it for other reasons than the actual content. But to the point that that 40% represents discarding a biblical truth, and I don't know what, how much of that is, I think that should be very alarming in the PCA. Um, a lot of people are talking about a slide in a direction we probably don't want to go. But I'd have to hear about why people voted against it. Uh, one of the presidential debates this week, there were, you know, everybody's fighting for the, the, <laughs> the most left policies on things, including abortion, which now the big famous term is reproductive health, reproductive freedom. And one of them got an applause for saying, I don't believe only in reproductive freedom, I believe in reproductive justice. So you can just see how important that word justice, it's, it's just this buzzword that, that gets things going. It's such a popular word, and that's why we want to talk about it. Because um, if you're not for whatever justice, what does that mean? That means you're unfair. That means you're unloving. You're, you're not doing the right thing. So it merely puts you on the defensive. Uh, and of course, in their mind, they have the wrong category of what justice would even mean. For them, justice is free abortions. Uh, where justice in our minds would be protect, you know, protect the vulnerable in the womb. It was a little funny. He misspoke and said, we also believe in this for trans women, which are <laughs> biological men who can't get pregnant. So I would rather shift, I would rather give them all the abortion rights in the world and, uh, and not, and take it away from the women. Uh, California just passed a new bill. This is interesting on the topic of race. And so they're amending their anti-discrimination laws to include traits historically associated with race and blackness. I don't know all the background. It, it, it had to do with some legitimate issues of um, there are workplace policies that don't allow certain hairstyles and stuff that are really hard for the black community um, and maybe others. So on one hand, it's, it's, a, it's an indication of things that, even the things that aren't as important as others, things that we just don't think about, maybe. And this is more of a majority-minority thing, right? Things tend to go a certain way. I remember we had a controversy at work a few years ago because the Band-Aids were flesh-colored, but, of course, they were pink. <laughs> and so there was a... that We had to get rid of those, 
or we had to have other transparent ones. And so it was kind of funny, and it was seemed kind of a distraction. But at the same time, it was the first time I'd ever thought about it. I remember having a Crayola crayon that was flesh-colored. That assumed a lot of the flesh, right? And so there are things like that that, you know, there, there's a spectrum of how important they are. But it does make you think. We don't always, we just don't realize, right? We're just going through our lives. We're not trying to offend. And we just don't realize. So I think it's it's interesting. You could argue over if, you know, we need public policy to handle something like that. Uh, it's interesting that they called out blackness and not other races. So I don't know if Asians are having trouble with hairstyles. I just don't know. Um, but it, it's worth discussing. I mean, it's not, it's not a big deal. Um, I've been trying to, for the most part, take a neutral stance and allow lots of variety. I, as I've prepped ahead for this critical theory, um, and if you're not familiar with that term, don't worry, but the more I read about that, the more alarming I think it is, and I think it's worth really hitting pretty hard in a couple weeks. Um, that, that is a place where I think we have a stop that we have to, to help figure out. Um, and so that's going to come up. Uh, before we start our non-controversial class, Josh, would you mind praying for us? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your love and care for us, and regardless of our race or ethnicity, pray that you give us humility as we discuss this topic and uh, the implications of the gospel in this area of our lives. Amen. And that's exactly right. Um, I've been trying to help us to slow down, don't get so reactive, think about where someone might be coming from, their motives, and sit down and have a real conversation. And we want our faith to speak into the, all these issues. We don't want to just cut people off and avoid them or laugh at them. We really want to engage people for the gospel. And so first thing is, I think we just need to talk about terminology. This, this goes all over the place. Start with blue. So there's probably all sorts of other terms, but I think we just need to distinguish between race. I do not have the best handwriting. Ethnicity. These pretty white boards they just made for us, and I'm messing them all up. And nationality. Now, people are imprecise with language, and so that's why we just have to, we have to have a conversation. Like, what did you mean by that? That didn't sound right to me. And so race primarily deals with your physiological characteristics often visual. Uh, these, at least at one time, were the main scientific categories in the world, Caucasian, Negroid, and Mongoloid. Those don't even sound PC anymore to me. Now, I don't know where in there like Hispanic or Native American would be. Crudely, we've called those white, black, yellow, brown, red, right? And that, and that just shows that very much we just, we kind of identify immediate visible characteristics. And that's kind of logical in some times, and other times it can be Misleading, right? We just kind of assume someone's a color. We jump in and think, oh, they must think this way. They must have this experience. And obviously, you can't know that without knowing somebody. So usually, it refers to skin pigment. It can talk about eye shapes, hair types, all sorts of things, right? Uh, I remember at the academy, if if a black cadet didn't have hadn't shaved that morning, you just assumed he had a shaving waiver because they they're very common to have ingrown hair issues. And so I knew I had a black friend who just wouldn't bother shaving because he knew no one would ask. And he didn't have a waiver. So there are just, there are physiological features that are just common. Some people are more, some populations are more lactose intolerant, all sorts of things. There's been questions about why is the NBA full of black players? Is it a physiological issue? Because their muscle structures a certain way? Or is that the sport that's played in the neighborhoods that are primarily black, right? Those kind of conversations happen all the time. You even had non-PC studies on IQ. Why is a population have more IQ or not? Is that hereditary? Is that genetic? And it's just funny, as our scientific age has come, you know, if you take any human cell, put it under a microscope, or you study a human body, I mean, 99.999, whatever, percent, we're all the same, right? There's just, the fact that color or hair type is so visible, but really, physiologically, it's, it's nothing. It's just, you, you might as well group people with big noses or big ears or broad shoulder. You know, you could take any physical trait and you could group people together, but for some reason, color is just, it's so evident, I guess, and, and then it tends to be, obviously, certain locations. I, I don't know how races came to be, but, you know, just people living in different place, genetic mutations in a population, exposure to sun, I have no idea. But it is fun, kind of funny that race is such a big thing, color is such a big thing, and yet, physiologically, it's just not. It's, it's kind of funny when you think about it. It's somewhat of a random and arbitrary concept, I think. And it's always changing, right? 
a certain race today is not the same as it was 100 years ago. And, and as you look across populations, you know, you can just see certain physical traits changing as you go east to west in certain areas or whatever. And it's, there's no binary line, right? It's just kind of a big spectrum. There's, we try to categorize it best we can. And then there's, so this is more just kind of visible. And then there's ethnicity. Um, and this is more of a fluid construct. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, the ethnos. So when you see that in the Bible, that's really talking about ethnicity, people groups. And this is a lot more about kind of how you live, your observable practices and allegiances. So your nationality, your language, your culture, your religion. Um, and these aren't obviously the same thing, but our, our language often mixes these. And of course, the Bible was written prior to the modern nation state concept. And so it's just different. You're like, we have for, uh, missionaries we support in Mexico, new tribes missions. They go to people groups. There's thousands of people groups in Mexico. They're not, to say Mexican is kind of, doesn't make any sense uh, from that standpoint. There's all these indigenous groups. And then of course, nationality has to do with more citizenship or, or where you were born. Um, but it gets confusing. If, if I talk about a Mexican immigrant, am I talking about someone who came from Mexico? Or am I talking about someone with brown skin? Right? And, and sometimes people mean one, sometimes they mean the other. Sometimes they say one, the person takes it as the other, and they get offended. Sometimes they should be offended, depending on what's being said. Um, sometimes I hear, if you say something against Islam, they call you a racist, which makes no sense. Islam is not a race. But what do they mean by that? Maybe they still mean something we need to talk about, right? We still don't like what you're saying. And so the language can get sloppy. I mean, one question I want to explore today, what does it even mean to have a white culture? I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Europe. I see a lot of differences among white, different white groups. And so white culture, in my mind, doesn't mean a lot. But in a certain city, that might mean a whole lot. What is a black culture? I mean, is there a black culture? What was the Marvel movie from Africa a few months ago? Black Panther. Black Panther. I was befuddled. I, I still, my family disagrees with me, but I, I didn't get it. What, <laughs> there was this commonality among black skin throughout the whole world. And then coming to America and the American black experience, Saturday Night Live even made fun of this on a Saturday Night Live Jeopardy skit. And, so it, it, it just gets confusing. It, it's not an easy topic. Would you have an Asian culture versus a Korean culture, a Japanese culture? Right? Sometimes we can just get too big. And are they, are these groups really that monolithic? Can we just assume certain things because of the color of your skin or, or whatever? Uh, and then it gets tough because when you talk about a problem, say, in the black community, I'll use the term, is that because of race? Is that culture? Is that poverty? Is that education level? Is that historical impacts of Jim Crow? You know, it gets, it gets tough, right? Think, think of a Venn diagram with all the bubbles overlapping. And it's, that's why people do studies and they try to separate groups and they try to nail down what is the real issue going on here. But in our daily lives, we don't really get to deal with that. And so first I just want to look at what does the Bible say on race? And I'll kind of put race in quotes there because it, you know, what do you mean by that? First of all, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, right? We've all come from Adam, all of us. Adam is created in the own image. Uh, James 3 tells us that all people are created in the image of God. And so we are all a common humanity with common parents, and we're all made in the image of God. Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And so whatever differences we experience today, from a biblical standpoint, we've got great grounding. We all have one father, right? I have actually been surprised as I kind of prep for this how little the Bible talks about race. It, it, very little. It talks about the, the poor all over the place. But the rate, you know... From an Israel standpoint, you have Israel and the Gentiles, and eventually we have the Samaritans, but that's much more of a mix. of That's not just race, right? That has religious issues in play. Jeremiah 13 does talk about the Ethiopian unable to change his skin. And so, yeah, there's a recognition that certain people groups from different places in the world will tend to have different color, but it just doesn't seem to be much of a biblical issue. In fact, it doesn't seem to be a biblical concept at all. Um, 
we do have some bad stuff in our past as a church. Um, you know, segregation or looking down at certain groups has been argued from the Bible. The mark of Cain, the confusion of languages at the Babel, the curse of Ham, all horrible exegesis, and they were wrong theologies. Uh, I talked about the Jew versus Gentile. So that's kind of the big race thing that the Bible deals with. And this would basically be my, what, what I would offer to you is my hypothesis. It, the Jew and Gentile divide included a racial divide, but it included so much more. So it was such a bigger division than any race issue you can even contemplate. I mean, the reason the, the Good Samaritan doesn't hit us maybe as hard as it would have them is we're dealing with the Samaritan. They already hated even more, right? They travel around Samaria. They just hated each other. And so to the point that the Bible says Jew and Gentile comes together, and that's not an issue anymore, th- that should be enough for us to say there should absolutely be no division from a racial standpoint. Uh, in the world, and particularly in the church. Um, I'll just read a couple of these. Acts 10. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Uh, truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Right? It has to do with who you are. It has to do with who you believe. It has to do with how you live. Colossians 3. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Even when he kind of includes some people groups, barbarians and Scythians, it's, they're nothing. Those, those identities are really nothing when it comes to the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 2. And this is probably the most important passage. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down on his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This should really be overkill because we're not talking about white, black. We're not talking about um, Asian and European from a British standpoint more. We're talking about Jew and Gentile. But if that's true of Jew and Gentile, what I'm offering is that would apply tenfold, hundredfold to any other racial categories. So there really is just no place for racism in the church. First Peter 2, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So thinking, what, what does it mean to be a people? So C, race and ethnos have no bearing on salvation in Christ or position in his church. Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So you need to have faith. Faith in Christ is it. 1 Corinthians 12, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Revelation 5, here's the ethnos again. Worthy you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood and you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. That's the glory of heaven. That's where we're going. All, it's, it's not, and it's not like the differences were obliterated. They're even recognized in heaven. It's, the beauty isn't that we come to one race or one homogenous group. It's that despite all those differences, we are now worshiping as one. The only common bond we have is Christ. And that's a beautiful testimony to a divided world. Revelation 7, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All right, D. God is impartial. And so should we be. Racism is a grave sin. I mean, hopefully this is a very, such a clear, it seems so clear to me, and yet we have a history, and we have theologies that were, you know, people argued against what I'm saying. And so, I don't know how to answer those, because I'm, I'm not a historian, but it's, it just seems so clear from the scriptures to me. Uh, James 2, this is in the context of the poor, but I think we can apply it to race or any other group. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If you show partiality, you are committing sin 
and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Partiality in the church is sin. And you can apply that to so many categories. And that, that from, a, from, a, from the word justice, partiality, that's an important concept. Doesn't necessarily mean what these guys are calling social justice. But the concept of justice is so important in the church. First John 3, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's, a mur- it's murder in your heart to hate your brother for any reason, race or otherwise. And of course, we saw the Good Samaritan last week. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Clearly goes across racial lines in that parable. And then the last thing I'll just say, and we won't really deal with this because it, it will, would get convoluted. We wouldn't have enough weeks for it at this point. But the, the ideas of immigration, um, of slavery, are very important, and they very much feed into this whole discussion. Um, so they are overlap, but they, they are distinct issues. Um, I am prepared to talk a little bit about slavery if someone finds that important, or maybe I'll find some time, but that would be an important discussion in an apologetics class. That's a, that's a problem people outside the church have with the Bible. How can the Bible support slavery? It's clearly, and now you recognize that it's a sin. How did that change? And that's an, that's an important apologetic uh, issue uh, to deal with. But for now, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to go on the assumption that we're all against slavery, right? And so I just want to deal with the issue of race. But if that's important enough, we can bring that up in future weeks. Or I can talk offline. Um, and so we come to, we've looked at some of the Bible. So how do we go back to these categories? I mean, what does it really mean? So from a biblical standpoint, right, we're, we're all of one race. We're all of a human race. We all have common parents. We're all creatures of God. We have the image of God. And so we have a commonality there. But there's really... Other differences are really theoretically superficial. We know they're not really, but theoretically they should be um, superficial. They shouldn't really be that important. From an ethnicity standpoint, um, First Peter 2, you were once not God's people, now you're God's people. What does it mean? What binds us together is that we're God's people, right? That's our practice. We're, we're those who worship Christ. That's what binds us together. We're really family. We're brother, we call each other brothers and sisters, right? And we're bonded by blood, by the blood of Christ. Um, it was funny. I was, a, I was the only white member of a gospel choir, so I always tout that as my credentials. Um, and it was funny because it, it was good to experience being a minority. Megan's experiencing that right now in Uganda. And uh, they called each other cuz. And I found myself using cuz. And I thought, are they offended? They haven't said anything. I'll just keep going, right? <laughs> like, because they, there is, there is a, there is a physical component there that links people, right? And you feel a connection. We feel connections with people for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's how we look. Sometimes it's the language. If, if you're in a foreign country and finally find one person that speaks English, it's like, yes, you don't know anything about that person. Um, and sometimes it's what you do. It's your activity. It's, you know, the people I fly with or, or you go to work with and, you know, all sorts of things will bind people. Our nationality. Well, what are we? We're citizens of heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. We're, we're, we're fellow citizens with the saints. That, that's our nationality. That's where our allegiance is ultimately to, right? We don't obey laws here unless they go against God's laws. Our ultimate citizenship and authority is here. And so I guess just at this point... Um, I don't need a response, but think in yourself, what, how much of these physical, earthly connections and identities do, do you quickly run to? And how much is your Christian identity superior to all those? How much would you naturally, and just be honest with yourself, would you naturally feel more, more at home with someone who is a Christian from another country, speaks another language, or an unbeliever who's your race, works with you, right? Someone you, you can get along with and converse with. But it's, I think it's a really exciting thing when I meet a believer from, a, from another country. I don't know anything about them, but immediately I feel a bond. And there are probably other times when I'm not, I'm not so good at that, right? Sometimes I, I want to be with my people. I want to live in my, my you know, gated community. I want, to, you know, I want to feel comfortable. I don't want to deal with dirty things and unhealthy. You know, it's... If we're honest, our hearts and minds are going all over the place. We're not, we're not all sinless here. We're not all clean here. 
And so I think one of the biggest things in this whole issue is identity. And I think what the social justice skeptics are concerned about is that in, in their good quest to fix, fix things and right wrongs and um, bring equality where there needs to be equality and, and have just systems, so much of the talk is dealt with in these identity categories that are not biblical, or, or at least they should be um, subservient to our Christian identity. And so how much is it helpful to talk about a black church and a white church and black spaces at the communion and just a lot of the language, you can see where it comes from. It's not, you know, you, you get it. it. Most cities you can drive in and it's very much divided by race, right? That's the common thing. So the question is, is, and the questions I want to explore today are more about, okay, there's a reality there. In Nirvana, we're all worshiping at the altar and there's no issues, right? But we're not there yet. In the here and now, how much should we let these categories, I'll get to you in just a second. Uh, John Piper says, we're saved by faith, not by works. This includes any goodness in us and it includes our identity. There, there's, there's also, not only are these issues, but you can find your identity in these things. You could, you could be pumped up and proud. I'm a member of whatever class, right? I've got certain privileges. And your identity when you come to Christ is in him, right? We, we've got to lose all of our identities uh, in him. We're not saved by our identity. You're not saved because you're in a press group. You're not saved because you're poor. You're not saved, you're not saved because you're in the majority group, right? It could go both ways. Um, Tim Keller says, the gospel keeps my identity from being consumed in groups. We don't want to be too individualistic, right? We don't want to live on an island. That's, that's the other thing. That's where these guys are concerned with these guys. They're all about individual responsibility, taking care of myself. But we live in communities. We live in groups. You can't just isolate yourself. But at the same time, you can't just be consumed by your group identity. Um, Al Moore makes the point. Jesus took on the flesh of all humanity. Right? R- race isn't even a, a concept. He took on the flesh of humanity. Um, all right, so I do want to hit some questions here. Um, so if I'm right, if, if there's nearly no real significant differences between races, this is your first question, what makes us prone to be racist? I mean, what makes us prone to think in those categories? It's clearly not such a big deal, right? It's visible, but why, why do you think we as humans just... That's so natural to group people racially. The fall. The fall. What do you mean by that? <laughs> so why race? Why not earlobes? <laughs> yeah. Why and why do you think we? Why do we want to divide ourselves? What's the what, what's behind that desire for division? You think? I don't know if there's a. Yeah, but I want more specifics. <laughs> and I don't know if there's a set answer. I just want to know. We don't have our identity in Christ. We're going to find our identity in someone else. And one of the most obvious and logical becomes race. And, what, why, and why, why do we want an identity, you think? It's just because that's a desire that God has given us? That, that it's misplaced? Soup? I think it has something to do with culture also. I think the two go hand in hand. And I know where I grew up, there were pockets of people in my neighborhood that were ethnic. There were Italians, there were Polish people, there's, you know, different community of people, English people. And I think a lot of it is common experience, uh, certain likes of foods and perhaps even entertainment. I don't know. And I think you find kind of comfort in, like, having a commonality maybe. Yeah. Well, and that starts to make a little more sense as you have commonality and practices and like, but it is confusing. You don't, you never really know. It's almost like you see visibly and assume all those other things. And sometimes those are true. Those are often true. That's why we have stereotypes, right? They're often true. I saw another hand. I think one of our fundamental instincts as simple beings is to draw a line in which we're on one side of secure the people that are on the other side. And so any type of category where we're able to do that in a clean way, we'll do it. 
Right. And I think that the common experiences and what we have in common with people is part of that because we can put them on our side of the right. line and other people on the other yeah. side. We're, we're always looking for a way to justify ourselves. I find it, stupid example maybe, but in my driving, there are laws I don't care about and laws I get mad that other people break. And who am I to say, well, this is the law that you can break in this one? You know, because we, and I think it's the same thing. We just, we draw these arbitrary lines that will, we'll draw the line around us and look for a way to justify, all right, well, if I'm part of this group or on this side of this issue, and that's why this justice issue, because it's an issue I care about, I'll call it justice. And therefore, I'm in the right and you're in the wrong. Yeah, it's just, it's our sinful selves wanting to justify ourselves uh, and be better than others. It is very cultural. Sure, you know, and it's sad because in the United States we have an opportunity with such a diverse culture. Right? Yeah, we're still separated you know, through media, corporations, the government. Uh, even in the, the, the ideology of diversity is based on race, it's racist and sexist because it's based on we have to put so many uh, older people mixed with younger people, mixed with white people, mixed with African American people. But yet, a guy was asking a co worker, a female co worker, I said, Do you think like all the rest of the females? Workplace here, and she says, Absolutely not. She said, See, that's how you're hired. You're right. hired on how you look instead of how you think. Right. Diverse, true diversity is how you think. Right. You have uh, diversity of thinking. Uh, I'm sure there's people of multiple cultures and uh, colors, and they think exactly like I think. Right. You know, just because they're different it's it's so not it's loving someone personal. for who they are. Yeah. Question number two: Are the are the ethnos people groups are this part of God's original design, or is this a result of the fall? And does that answer that question even matter? <laughs> I think when you look at it from just answer. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Sure. I think a lot of this concept of you know, communal identity is based on the concept some might call it comfort, but I think a lot of it originates just in safety. You feel safe. Yeah. But it's evolved into sin. And there's always a mix of good motives, right? I mean, you, you could take um, what do they call it? when police look at a certain race more than others? Profiling. profiling. You can make a logical case for profiling, right? Um, and yet, there's always the danger of, now I'm just a group. And I'm not looking at behavior, I'm just looking. And it's tough. These are tough issues. You had your hand raised earlier. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, you know, I think with regard to the previous question, I wanted to add that oftentimes, you know, these lines are drawn out of good intent, you know, like sure. you spoke about motives, like, you know, in India, it was when, you know, you had to write your, so to speak, class, you know, because the idea was to get rid of the caste system from India, to, give, to make sure that we don't have it anymore. And even here, when we talk about, you know, your race, I think the idea, whoever developed it, was the idea to make sure that everybody's represented, you know. So oftentimes lines are drawn with good intent and it's our, you know, our human effort to doing good without... Yeah, and, and that's why... That's why I want to be careful about cutting off fellowship or thinking lesser. I mean, in the end, someone could be on this side and this side and have the same end goal. I want to get rid of poverty. And yet they just think there's a more efficient or better way. That's not... Something to break fellowship on? It's not even a... The Bible doesn't even speak to some of those economic policies, right? You just you just use your brain and you do your best. To get, so that's why we need to slow down and talk. So um, we grew up in a mining community where there was no private ownership. It was a company town. The town owned everything. And so we were, in that community, always stratified by economic status, 
for union versus management, kind of the, so the, the community was all mixed together. So one of the funny things that happened is when I went off to college and we had to fill, fill in for the first time a demographic application, one of the things that happened is because um, that part of the community was largely Hispanic. Um, and so when I got to college, there was a box on there that said, well, today it would say Hispanic. At that time, it said Mexican. And I go, why do they have their own box? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, with me too, I, you know, I ask questions before, like, when you apply for a job, what would they ask you? Are you bilingual? I said, I'm bilingual. But they did tell me that they you have Spanish. to be Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what an assumption. Isn't that yeah. bilingual? Can you hire me? I speak no, Southern. you have to speak Spanish. <laughs> but really, going back to what Sue says, it's the comfort. Like, for me, of course, when I go to a church or any group, I go, okay, are there any Filipinos here? Yeah. You know, same thing in my country. There's like 77 dialects. So you, you go to, like, from here to Param, they speak different. Like, just a distance away, people speak differently. And you just want to find those people that, just like what John says, the language also. Right. Like, not everybody speaks English or Italian or Russian. And just like what you said, you're the only American in your place, and you want to look for someone that speaks Yeah. Language. It's just the connection and the comfort. And just like what you said, you speak Filipino. And I don't know, is that... Well, and that's kind of what, let me take that now into the church. Um, that's kind of what I want to explore in these discussions is, you can live in the theoretical world, right? Say, ah, I don't see color. Yeah, right. Or, but you have to meet people where they are, right? People are hurting. If their identity is not biblical, but it's where they are, how are you going to meet them there and lead them to a biblical identity, right? That, that, that's what we're talking about. It's not just thumping Bible and, and being distant. Um, I, so this week I want to more deal with race in the church, and we'll probably have to continue next week, but and then start dealing with the real, some of the really sticky issues out there, outside the walls. But basically, I want to talk, if race is not a biblical category, if that's true, or to the point that it's not, should we avoid that kind of language? Should we avoid racial categories to the next extent? And, and how on earth would we do that? There's nothing I love more than Sure. You, know, you brought this up in you know, some of your earlier classes that on the hierarchy of intersectionality, you know, white Christian male is a man who the boss. So yeah. I love people looking at me as stereotyping me because of. We'll hit that in a couple weeks. I mean, it comes both ways, man. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, people assume you have a certain attitude or a certain belief. Yeah. Because of your color. I mean, just. Um, Act 6. So I have a question here. Should a church try to become more ethnically diverse in its leadership? And you could say socioeconomically diverse, you could say racial, you could say whatever. If the throne of God is surrounded by all these ethnos, shouldn't that be our goal as well in our local church, in our leadership? I'll start with the leadership, just because I think the other question is going to get sticky. Um, Act 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Hellenists versus the Hebrews. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so this is kind of the start of the diaconate. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint, who will appoint to this duty. So they had to be men who were good repute, full of spirit and wisdom. And then some would say, though, the people they chose, Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parninus, and Nicholas, um, it's not explicit, but someone would say, if you just look at the names that were drawn, the, the groups, the group dynamics, group identities were of consideration. And we can't prove that, but that's kind of what I want to ask. Um, now, clearly, they were still full of wisdom. Um, they had good reputations, good spirituality. So those, those threshold requirements were not violated, and yet there's some indication that at least... And this is an issue between Hellenists and Hebrews, right? There, there's a, a racial, cultural component going on here. So would it not make sense that maybe you have men serving that would help distill that in some way? 
and would choosing men from each side or from one side help in that endeavor? Um, and so I just, if that's true in Act 6 or not, what do you think? Is that something that we should think about? We should desire? Should we be concerned if all of our leaders are of one race? Or uh, <laughs> what do you think? Or is that a category we shouldn't be thinking about as Christians? Aaron. Or sorry, I always call you Aaron. I told you that last week. Leah. We'll hit that next week. Right, right. In the church, however, we do see that every tribe, tongue, and nation is represented. And I think that if we say, oh, well, everyone in this city is is white, middle class, so where are we going to find diversity? You know, well, that's that's, that's not our problem. That's an inner city church problem. Yeah, maybe we don't go hunt down people, but when we look at it as the, the church is diverse, and if all we could experience for people like us, we're missing out. We're missing out on the richness that different cultures and different people bring. Like, uh, it, it's like painting a picture with only one color. What, what, maybe I should have asked it this way. You raise it. What are the, what would be the good aspects? Now let's assume we're not going to go behold, below any threshold of re- true biblical requirements. That's just, I think we would assume that. But then do you think beyond that? Um, what would be the good things? Even if you don't think this is a good way to think, what would be the good things about having a leader in your church that looks more like you or has a more of an experience yeah. like you? If we want our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities to feel comfortable in the church, then certainly having people that are more like them in leadership is going to do that. And the flip side being, um, it, it makes me very sad that someone would come to our church and not feel comfortable. Right. And that may be their issue, not the, not the church's issue in being welcoming, but there's just a reality that if there's someone that is more like them, then they might be, then that might be averted. And I guess the, the retort to that would be, why would seeing someone who looks like you give you comfort? Especially from a biblical standpoint. I'm not saying I would. No, I'm just, and I'm just asking. It's, it's not right, probably, but it is natural. Right, like, and don't be scared to answer. Thing. Someone thinks just like you in here, so be 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 willing to say these are tough issues. The most important thing in the Acts six passage is you look out among the people are in the congregation. Right, you're not importing them in. You're not going <laughs> and recruiting people to bring them in. It, these people are not. Right, they're they're among you. Be in order to be qualified. Right, and I don't see a conscious effort there as much as you can look at the names and say, well, maybe there were were uh, Hellenists or two. Yeah, and I don't want to get stuck on the reality there. I don't know that you could prove that, but um, it'd be the same thing. We have all male elders, which is another. Well, I was going to get to that in a second. (laughs) But I mean, should we? Oh, well, we need to be more diverse in our representation. Therefore, we need female elder. Well, and that's where I was going to turn it is if we see benefit of people who are like us, look like us, have common experience, the natural question would be, well, that would be true of men and women. Well, I know people (laughs) have left this church over that issue uh, in the membership class would raise the question and would tell me after the class they wouldn't be back because we don't have uh, women And so, uh, but the point is to me, the, the representation of the gospel being all kindred, tongues, nations, in the book of Revelation, uh, is missions. Uh, is the, the call to missions to take the gospel to every people group. And so not every church is going to look alike, but I do think if the church, if we're in a church that preaches the gospel, we will have more diversity right. than a church that doesn't. Yeah, the, the more you preach a biblical identity, the more those earthly ones are going to break down. You, you tend to relativize race. Yeah. In other words, we live in a culture that has 
race idolatry right now. Race idolatry is and, and so there is uh, even calling someone a racist is drawing a line and saying I'm a better person than you because I'm not a racist and I see behavior in you I don't like therefore you're racist. That's trouble. I mean there may be grounds to say that or confront someone over that issue but it's a complicated issue but it's absolutizing one element yeah. uh, in, in Christian life but I don't want to get into duty there and the whole absolutizing mode Please don't. but he had something to say about uh, that you tend to take a category like history or psychology or sociology or uh, economics or education and we absolutize that particular field and look at everything through that lens. Yeah. And that has happened in our culture right now. And, everything is looked at through yeah. the lens of that. And on the flip side, even though those categories are abused, let's also be honest with ourselves and say, well, you're a white male, you must think this way. And yet there could be some hint of truth, right? There, we do have racist thoughts, let's be honest. We, we have that in our heart at places, and we want to keep crucifying it. We want to keep repenting of it. We have sexist thoughts and ideas. We need to keep repenting of it. So don't, don't, don't too quickly hide behind, but I got the biblical categories down, right? Deal with your own heart at the same time. Hold the both. On the issue of race versus gender, justice and equality, um, from a biblical leadership standpoint, that's where you kind of have a Bible to hope what categories matter biblically? Um, now, there will be people who, with the same Bible who don't think we should still hold to a male-only leadership, but let that be a biblical exegesis discussion, right? And challenge. But if you come out, even if you don't understand why God would do it this way, if you come out to say, I do think God is um, drawing the line at, at deacons and elders to men, then you hold the line, because it's the Bible, and we hold to the Bible. But it clearly doesn't do that. So, there might be good things to talk about, and that's why we have a women's ministry. That's why we, we promote and want to encourage <coughs> gifts among our men and our women, because we recognize the practical side of it. We talked about in the divorce class. Imagine uh, a woman who's battered and is seeking a divorce and goes to a group of seven men, elders. I mean, it just kind of makes sense to us that you'd have a woman with her and, and there'd be that, right? It just makes sense, and yet you don't have necessarily have the office, or you can argue for the office. But that's also a good thing to recognize. There, there are just practical identity issues and ex life experience issues we don't have to run away from. We're just going to stay on this question because we don't have time for the last one. But, or if you just want to talk. I saw lots of hands that I dismissed. So. You know, one of the problems with the early evangelists as they were you know, spreading the gospel, they were trying to westernize everybody. And if you look mm. at what people say about missions today, in a different culture. They will culturally... So, I'm not sure there is a lowest common denominator. How do you... You know, people are going to feel comfortable worshiping as they are... Yeah, and I want to explore that question more next you, week. That's really my last question, and I think it's a big topic, and it's worth of a, of a full discussion next week. It, and it's hard. And I, I like the way you put it earlier, Josh. You're like, I'm sad that someone would come here, and yet it's the reality. I don't want it. Another question is, can you do something about it? What do you do about it? And one of the questions we'll ask next week, if you think we should be more ethnically diverse as a congregation, because you can say yes or no, but if you do, how on earth would you even do that? At least in two areas. First of all, we want to become more in tune with biblical identities. But at the same time, we want a heart. We want a heart for those who are, don't, don't have a good biblical understanding or are just in dire circumstances. And so we don't want to just sit in our walls of our church and be proud about, oh, we've got the biblical categories down and too bad you people out there who don't, right? We want to go and be the good neighbor and helps them in their need to whatever level you think we should and in whatever specific way we think we should. But 
Um, yeah, of course we need to grow in that. One thing to remember too is, you know, we see in the Bible, um, it directed to both groups of people, so kind of corporate direction uh, or descriptions of people as well as with individuals. And in the same way, I think that, I think it was a John Stokesweek uh, interview I was listening to and he was, he was saying that people in the majority group tend to focus on the individual aspect that are in a minority group hmm. tend to view a structural aspect, so see it in a more corporate sense versus the individual. Makes sense. And I think that, I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but I'm just saying we have to be sensitive to what That's a great point. our kind of natural inclination is going to be right. looking at maybe the individuals and right. think more about these structural issues. I think that'll become, as we get in the next couple of weeks in some of these true social issues outside the church, um, and understanding that perspective is going is going to be helpful we're, we're out of time so we got to go but um, think about this last question this next week because we want to hit it in a fuller discussion so not just among our leadership so we can look in our group and you know we'll, we'll eventually have people from every group um, but what about our church should our what what on earth neighborhood would our church look like now once we have a new building we'll be able to say that more okay now we have a neighborhood what if we have a square mile radius around that, draw around the building? Do we want to look like that neighborhood? Is that a, a proper desire? If it is, how would you do it? Um, and those are not easy answers. So I think it can be a really fruitful discussion. Uh, one thing I would say on the leadership thing, just because it's important, is yes, we want to hold biblical categories uh, and certainly um, leadership um, requirements. Why not ask this question at least? Like, why wouldn't we have, why don't we have an elder of X race? Well, maybe there's no one qualified. Maybe no one desires it. Maybe, maybe we're, maybe we're looking at those biblical qualifications through a cultural lens. What does it mean to be temperament? Right? There are, those qualifications might be read in a certain way that maybe we're not looking, maybe we're not actively trying to disciple and build people up in a certain group. So that's a fair question to ask, I think. Um, not that you would force it, not that you have quotas, but maybe it's just a question to ask. Well, let, let's go make sure that we're feeding everybody and discipling everybody. So let me close this. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to go into the world uh, not with fear, but having great confidence in the gospel that it can speak to these things. Help us to inspect our own lives, our own hearts on these matters, to repent where we need to, and to boldly go forward and uh, wisely go into the world um, to evangelize and disciple among our own body. Help this whole series to be a help to our body. Um, not a divider, but one that brings us together in the name of Christ, the only thing we really have in common. Help us now to go worship in his name. Amen.